This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Greg Gilchrist, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Dan DeMarco, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report, I have back Brian Silliman. Brian is a partner at Hughes Hubbard and heads the firm's Harris office. We take up a couple of articles that Brian has recently authored. In this episode, I have Raman Kalin and Tala Mir. They are both Microsoft employees, and they have their own podcast, Uncovering Hidden Risks, which recently joined the Compliance Podcast Network. I wanted to sit down with them and talk to them about their approach to a different type of risk than most compliance professionals consider, and that's insider risks. Insider risks are risks which your employees bring or other vendors, suppliers, or even customers who can sit inside your firewall or gain access. It's a fascinating exploration on a risk little reviewed. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode, and you are in for a real treat today because I have Raymond Cowlin and Tala Mir, both from Microsoft, fellow podcasters, here to talk about their podcast and the work they do for Microsoft. So, gentlemen, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks for having us, Tom. Indeed. Thank you. So, uh, I was wondering if you could start telling us uh, your current role at Microsoft and a little bit about your professional backgrounds. Sounds good. Tala, you want to go first? Yeah, love to. So, uh, been at this company quite a bit now, and spent quite a bit of time doing different things in security and, and compliance. And the thing that's most relevant, I guess, for this conversation is about I'd say four and a half, five years ago, I got tapped from our uh, CISO to go build out an insider risk program for Microsoft. Uh, hadn't done anything in that space before. Incredible learning opportunity. Incredibly eye-opening in terms of looking within and not just outside. Um, and that led to a whole bunch of discoveries and, and whatnot and connected a lot of peers in the industry as well. And from there, I came over to this team working with Raman about two, two and a half years ago now and started working on a product offering to help our customers solve this problem. Yeah. So Raman Kalyan, I'm on the Microsoft 365 oh. product marketing team. And like Tala mentioned, you know, I've been on this yes. team for about six years. Um, this is our compliance team. And so what that means is we have solutions that we offer organizations to help them mitigate, uh, under, understand, and identify risks that they have and meet certain requirements that they might have from a compliance perspective. So solutions ranging from e-discovery to information governance, information protection. And like Talab said, two and a half years ago, you know, we sort of partnered up to create the insider risk management solution at Microsoft and excited to to see where the solution is now and obviously to talk to you, Tom. And so it's a great opportunity. As I said earlier, you guys are fellow podcasters and you have a podcast called Hidden Risks. And I've had the chance to listen to a few episodes. And a couple of things struck me about this podcast. Number one, and, and I apologize because I can't remember the name of the person who told me this but he said, your greatest risks are those behind your firewall. And I thought he was talking about a data breach risk or a security risk. And what he meant was your people, um, your employees. 
because they have the greatest access to the, basically the keys to the kingdom. And no one really in the anti-corruption compliance world, and I think in AML, trade sanctions, or any of the others, really focuses on that. They think about third parties. They think about risk assessments. They think about who who we can do business with, where we can do business with, and how we can do business with them. Nobody's looking at the risks that you guys are looking at. So what I wanted to start with asking you, um, why did you guys start this podcast? And really, what do you hope to uh, really communicate and achieve with it? Yeah, I mean, uh, from a podcast perspective, we're kind of looking at how do we how do we drive more awareness to insider risks? Right to your to your point, um, as we spoke to CISOs, as we spoke to other organizations around the world, what we found was that yeah, they have a sense for um, insiders in their organization, perhaps not doing things that they should be doing um, or doing things that uh, they shouldn't be doing, and. Um, uh, but their focus primarily is, um, and the attention is on external risks, right? That's where you see a lot of the press, a lot of the, the input on like, hey, I'm getting hacked or my, my employees installed some malware. But yet there's all these sorts of things going on. And so as we went down this path of not only building out our solution to help organizations identify these risks, but then more importantly, how do we drive awareness of not only the, the solution that we have, but more importantly, the issue at hand, the broader issue around insider risk. And so that was the impetus for the podcast. I mean, we certainly do blogs, we have webinars, we have, you know, sessions at Ignite and our different events. But we found like, hey, this is an interesting medium. The other thing was that, you know, Tala and I have a good, you know, working relationship. We, we, tend to get along, I think. And and so the chemistry is there to actually deliver um, more of a, a, a sort of a show that people can listen to, you know, in this world of I'm working remotely, I might be on my Peloton, I want to listen to something. And so the next thing you see is like, well, hey, we've got a lot of people listening. So that was sort of the impetus to lie. anything else on that. Yeah, no, one thing I'd add to that, uh, Tom, is so as part of the, when I was part of the team building up the Insiders program, for the company, we joined this, this forum uh, called the OSIT group, the Open Source Insider Threat Working Group. And this is a group part of the Carnegie Mellon CERT Institute. And within that, it was like you know, four practitioners by practitioners. So it was a bunch of insider risk, insider threat specialists from across, across the company, across the world. And we're talking about this stuff. And you can see this sort of groundswell, like, holy crap, this, this is a real thing. We got to do something about it. But it was very much sort of caged within that little community. Um, and then when I came into this role and we started talking to a lot of customers, everybody you talk to, it's like, yeah, this is a problem, but we don't know how to wrap our head around it, right? It's not like a malware where I can just, you know, identify it, contain it, and eradicate it. This is people I'm talking about. And they might be doing something intentionally or unintentionally. How do I wrap my, my sort of brain around that? So we, this was our attempt to kind of get it out there, like Roman said, right? That it is out there. There are things that could be done about it. And we got to just come together to, to figure out what that solution is. I really like the way you, you, you phrase that because uh, to the extent um, compliance professionals think about insider risk, it's really more fraud. Like this person is trying to steal money from the company. They bring a kind of a law enforcement mentality and a law enforcement approach. That's not what you guys are bringing. You're bringing a, both a tech technological solution with a, obviously a human element and I, what I, I guess I wondered is, does that message resonate when you sit down with someone 
who's not in the CISO suite, meaning someone like me who's a lawyer professionally trained or an internal auditor, a CPA? Is, does that message really resonate kind of down at the, uh, the tactical level? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I was going to say 100%. Like the, the fact that, um, you know, as we started designing this solution, we went out and we spoke to privacy officers and organizations. We spoke to HR. We spoke to legal. Of course, we spoke to CISOs because they were, you know, or CIOs. They were, they were really sort of the tippy point and spear of implementing these types of solutions. However, what we found was that in order to have a solution to address insurer risk effectively without also compromising the corporate culture, you need to have a collaborative approach across these different organizations, right? Across legal, HR. And so when we speak to, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. Like last year, I was speaking to a company in, in, in Europe and they're a big telecom company and, and the CISO was all in on, hey, I want to, I want to go ahead and launch inside a risk within my organization. And so I gave her a presentation, showed her a demo. She was like, great, I'm going to do a, a, a proof of concept. Come back to you. Get a call a week later. She's, she's like, hey, I need you to speak to my chief privacy officer today because she blocked me. Can't can't do anything without you talking. I'm like, okay, that sounds good. So I'm talking to her, and she's asking me all sorts of questions outside of the technology. Hey, what about collaboration? Who has access? How do people see the data? All this sort of thing. And so I walked her through some of the elements that we had built in by design into the product, the pseudo-anonymization, the collaboration pieces, the you know, role-based access. And so those are the types of controls and, and pieces in place that really resonate with other parts of the organization. If you just approach it from a pure technology perspective without thinking about the holistic program end-to-end, yeah, you're not going to – your solution is going to be stuck in, in some weird limbo land Dala, what uh, what are the conversations you have when you sit down really with with maybe somebody like me, a, a lawyer or an HR professional, uh, and really help them understand not so much the nature of the problem or perhaps you even have to explain the nature of the problem, but the nature of the solution as well? Yeah, so I think where we start is you can't assume it's all going to be ill intent, right? You have to kind of reframe this thing as a way to manage risk for the company. And when you look at it that way and you sort of broaden the horizon, you start looking at not just fraud, you look at data theft, sabotage, data leak, uh, confidentiality issues. The space is actually quite large. So you look at that, you start to prioritize where things need to go in that context. And the solution really has to be focused on those three age-old pillars, right? People, process, and technology. And the conversations, when we built this program out, for example, um, the first partnership that we had developed, first set of partnership that we had developed were actually with our HR department and our legal department. And the thing we had to acknowledge up front is that, look, once we start building out the programs and the process and the technology to do the appropriate detections, we have to take into account things like what are the employment laws saying and make sure we adhere to that, not just in terms of what we're actually curating for signals, what kind of detections we're driving, but what kind of actions we can actually take. Right? So a company like Microsoft, global company. So how we drive our detections for employees in North America could be different than how we do it for employees in Europe, which could be different than how we do it in Japan. But that has to be built in from day one. It can't be one of those things where you do it after the fact, and then you have to react and say, well, all that evidence that we gathered is actually not usable because we didn't follow the proper guidelines. 
So those partnerships up front with especially legal and privacy and HR are critical so that when we do go down the path and we have some kind of detections, whether they're malicious or unintentional, we can take the right action, course correct, and manage that risk. Let me change the focus of a question just a little bit uh, by uh, asking you about uh, upper-level senior management and even the board of directors. Is this a conversation that they uh, that you can have with them and that they understand, or is the uniform response, look, we, we vet our people, we trust our people, we don't need this. Uh, yeah, we do some fraud risk uh, management, but this is not something that happens at our company. Is that a conversation you have, or really uh, are, are people – sort of finally past that that's that's not a necessarily conversation we have but i'll tell you one thing that does happen um and the conversation that does happen that we've had with CISOs is when we start talking about insider risk the first sort of knee-jerk reaction is yeah i know i have a problem and it's people clicking on hyperlinks that they shouldn't be clicking on or they're getting fished or they're downloading malware you know so i've got an insider risk problem so i need to train them to not do that sort of thing and, and I think where when we start really sort of talking about the way we think about insider risk more holistically about the broad range of risks that you face from IP theft, people departing your uh, organization, stealing information or inadvertently leaking something or to your point earlier, fraud, et cetera, or even to the point of like, you know, insider risks associated with communication and cultural impacts harassment, people saying things or sharing things that they shouldn't be sharing at work inappropriately. Then people start saying, wow, I didn't really think about it that way. So what, you know, what, where do I start to Talas point, right? How do I, how do I start down this path and identify these types of risks given all of the different signals that I have within my organization? Yeah. And, and to add to that, I would say that I think, um, at the end of the day, it is about prioritization, right? So I think we are, it does feel like to me, we are beyond the point of people asking, is this an issue? Because there's been ample sort of public cases, very publicized cases of insider threat causing harm, as well as just countless cases of inadvertent you know, leaks or damage that, that employees can do. And I think what kind of helps this conversation at the CISO level and when CISOs are having at the board level is that, this isn't necessarily about not trusting your employees. What this is, is so we had a saying, right? Assume positive intent, but maintain healthy skepticism. So what that means is it's really about putting the right controls in place so that you can actually identify when these risks are about to materialize in your organization and you can take action. And that risk could be inadvertent. I'm about to leave the company. I love this company so much. I love the team so much that I want to take a bunch of documents with me so that in case they reach out after the fact, I can help them out. By the way, I'm not leaving the company. This is just an example of giving. <laughs> I just want to make that clear. <laughs> so, <laughs> But Tom, this actually happened. I've talked to customers who brought this up, that they identified an individual that a couple of days before they left the organization they downloaded a bunch of sensitive documents, copied to a USB device, and they left. And when systems like this identified it and they reached out to them, they said, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to cause harm. I was just doing this because I wanted to make sure if my manager reached out after the fact, I still could provide the kind of level, the level of support that I provided while I was at the company. Intent was good. See what I mean? But you're still causing a harm and a risk to the company. And if you approach it from that perspective, it does open up a lot more opportunities on what you can and cannot do. 
One of my favorite phrases that I have purloined over the years is from Ronald Reagan, which is trust but verify. Would uh, would your approach uh, fall into that category? 100%. And this is actually really key because unlike security, looking at external threats where, let's say, Tom, malware, right? A malware is a piece of malware. It's a piece of malware, right? I don't care if it originated in, in Asia, in Europe, in, in America, and I don't care how it proliferates across the world. I can identify it. I can put a signature on it, contain it. I can eradicate it. It doesn't work like that with insiders. You're talking about employees and their intent and understanding their intent. So the whole, one of the principles of the solution is we're trying to give you an opportunity to make timely and informed risk management decisions, right? Which is we identify things in the technical indicators that we think are potentially anomalous. But we're not, technology isn't going to get to a point where it can actually determine easily whether this is a malicious anomaly or a benign anomaly, right? But it's, it's a hard problem just to solve and identify if it's something is anomalous or not. But our job then is to present that information to our analysts and let them verify. Let me see if I can maybe rephrase that and, and see if I get it right uh, in your guys' perception. It really strikes me after listening to you that this is a much more macro risk management process. What I thought I was going to visit with you about is, uh, you know, perhaps a, a data breach, uh, fraud risk or some other type of risk. But what I think I'm hearing is it's risk. And we don't know how many risks there are. We can't categorize them right now. There may be a new risk tomorrow that we haven't thought of. But this is an approach which allows you, it's broad enough and flexible enough that allows you to, as you said, Tom, um, look for anomalies. And once you find an anomaly, then you can move in uh, with other uh, uh, detect strategies or uh, investigations, internal audit, sitting down, interviewing someone in a wide variety of strategies. But this really seems like a very um, broad and flexible approach to overall risk management. Would that be a fair assessment? Absolutely. I I mean, I think that when you think about that whole process, the end-to-end, there's the detection piece, like Talal was mentioning, but then the more important aspects are the remediation. And the remediation can be, to your point, Tom, you know, hey, I need to escalate those to HR or to legal or, you know, it's getting to a point where I may need to involve, you know, law enforcement or an external party to take care of this issue because it's so malicious and egregious in nature. Other aspects, the inadvertent parts of the, the, the risk spectrum, there's the remediation are more sort of like, hey, I need to maybe remind this individual that here, this is not uh, acceptable as part of our policy. It's more of a support structure, right? To say, hey, I want you to be able to do the right thing. And so here's something that you may not know that you shouldn't be doing this. Other parts of it are identifying, you know, perhaps trends that may be going on within your organization, and you can roll out then training to say, hey, here's a, uh, we've seen this sort of thing happening across the organization. Here's a training to help educate people um, on what not to do, right? Um, or that this is an appropriate behavior, or this may be leading to risk. You may, it may not be bad. Um, but it ultimately can lead to risk. And we heard that loud and clear when we did focus groups around this product where we interviewed uh, end users. And end users told us that, look, I'm not, I'm not a bad person at heart, and 99% of people aren't. Um, and so their, their commentary was, look, I don't want to just be constantly you know, slapped on the side of the hand. Um, you know, help support me in doing the right thing. 
Like, for example, at Microsoft, we have a 55-page or something like that handbook, right, um, on, on policies. I read parts of it. I haven't read all of it. And so, you know, but I know what not to do, what to do. But there might be times where somebody might remind me, like, hey, you know, in this policy handbook section, whatever, this is this is what the policy is. Okay, now I know. That's, I think, that transparency when organizations roll this out to their employees is so key. It's so critical. The trust of the employees and the trust of the organization then creates trust in the environment, which then reduces the risk all up. I was wondering, you mentioned, uh, Raman, uh, the focus groups. I was wondering if you could both uh, could give a few words about your development process. Did you you have an idea? Did you uh, talk to people, focus groups, other um, strategies to, to interview people? Did you develop a proof of concept? Did you take that out and test it? Or just kind of walk us through that part of, uh, of what you guys have done? Yeah. Well, we actually, this is how we start our story typically. <laughs> but uh, it literally, it was like two and a half years ago. We uh, So we go through a semester planning process and on the engineering side, uh, and Pilat can go into that a little more detail, but we go through a semester planning process where we identify, you know, opportunities to um, grow our business, new areas, um, expanding ex- ex- existing businesses, et cetera, enhancing things. And as part of that, we go and interview um, internal stakeholders. And as uh, two and a half years ago, we interviewed Brett Arsenal, our CISO, and asked him, you know, hey, what kind of keeps you up at night was the, sort of the question, right? And our hypothesis going into that was he was going to really sort of talk about external threats. Hey, the malwares, the, the database or the data center breaches, external hacking nation state stuff. And he said, while those things concern me, I have a pretty good handle on that. Um, but what I am concerned about is insiders at Microsoft, insiders doing things that they shouldn't be. And so I'm looking for a solution that I can scale. And you guys should go work with Pala and team and, and build something out in Microsoft 365. So that's how sort of the the ideation started. And then from there, we sort of worked together, Pala and I, on different um, scenarios in terms of like, hey, what could the technology at that point, two and a half years ago, really start to do? What were some of the, the interesting ideas that we could float? We developed sort of a proof of concept, which we then took out to, um, you know, research, external research, both quantitative and qualitative research. And we interviewed, you know, decision makers and users. Um, we went uh, around the world, actually. We, we did North America, um, Europe. Germany specifically, because we wanted to get um, uh, feedback on privacy as part of this process. And so um, out of that then came, you know, this product. We pitched it to our engineering leadership. We asked for some money and uh, we got some heads to go develop it. And and then a year ago at RSA, we launched our first um, iteration V1 at GA. And here we are, like, I think V3, V4 now, a year later. So that's kind of how, how the process worked, but Paul, anything else on top of that? The design partner piece out at as, as a crucial piece, right? So there's this was grounded in experience, this whole product, right? Our own experience at Microsoft are building this thing out, our, our work with or, or sort of what we learned from Carnegie Mellon CERT, uh, OSIT, it's a uh, working group and whatnot. But we also enrolled a bunch of design partners from financial and uh, healthcare industry and government 
to make sure that this is something that can kind of scale and, and work across the board. And these design partners are the ones that I'm proud to say we can continue to rely on even today as we think about the roadmap of this product and some of the features that are upcoming that we're working on now. Um, that allows us to continue to keep this product grounded in people's experience of managing these insider risks. And not only that, but like, you know, beyond that concept value and the marketing messaging, you know, pricing research that we do as part of this, um, on, on the engineering side, and talk, maybe you can speak to a little bit of this, is the UX research. Because part of building a solution that is actually, you know, um, scalable and, and usable for organizations, there's this intuitiveness. Like, you can't just build something that, oh, man, I've got all these bells and whistles and there's all this complexity and blah, blah, blah. You want to try to take the complexity and simplify it such that the user can use it, especially in the case of this product, because we are talking about collaboration between security and HR and legal. And you get into situations where people may not be as technically savvy, but yet they have an important role to play in the process. Yeah. I mean, that's a really critical point, Tom. I think the minute we realize that this solution has to be for more than the technicals, the SOC analysts, the security operations center analysts, for example, we recognize that this has to make this has to work for your HR group, your privacy group, and your legal group. So the way we thought about the experience itself is that it can't be a lot of technical mumbo jumbo, right? People want to understand I'm, I'm talking about employees, contractors, business guests, vendors in my company, and I want to know what they did. Don't give me device IDs and alert IDs and event IDs and all that stuff. I just want to know this person who's got a name. They did something. They copied something. They deleted something. They, they maybe they went to specific websites or whatever that might be. I want to understand specific actions that they took. And in the context of that, I want to understand was that anomalous or not so I can take the appropriate uh, mitigation strategies that I need to take. So that UX research that we did was quite extensive. It continues to happen today. We continue to fine-tune things in terms of the personas that we're dealing with are not necessarily technical. Let me change the focus a little bit to that veiled land of the future. And um, we're now, gosh, almost one year into the uh, coronavirus health crisis. If I can kind of put it around March 15 when everything got shut down, that obviously changed risks. Now people are talking about some, some form of perhaps return to the office, whether that be full-time, whether that be part-time. That's a risk and a different set of risks. And I was wondering if these these types of changing risk that we had not considered in 2018 or 2019 are part of the, the risk uh, portfolio that the, you guys uh, can help companies with. And certainly the tools you've developed are flexible enough to help really with both questions. I think the answer is 100 percent yes. What's happening is... It's certainly drawing more attention to these types of risks because what you have now is you have a workforce that's no longer contained or well-managed inside some sort of a walled garden, if you will, right? They're not really behind a firewall anymore. They're just all over the place. And what's happening is as your workforce starts to kind of disperse out, your data, your information systems are also becoming a lot more ubiquitous. They're just, they're everywhere now. And the landscape is becoming a lot more sophisticated. And so, for example, one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is the fact that it's really easy to get started in a lot of the data points that we curate to understand what your employees and contractors and vendors are up to are based on access that they uh, do to cloud resources. 
What are they accessing? What are they changing? What are they modifying? And because everything has that as a choke point, you're touching resources in the cloud, we can see what's going on. So it certainly draws more attention to these risks. It makes risks a lot more sophisticated and complicated. And there's certainly heightened awareness because of it. And I don't think that's going away. And you've t you said this yourself, right? I don't think we're getting back to a new normal in any way. I think we'll continue to deal with remote workforces. So how do you empower them, enable them, make them feel like they're still a trusted, valuable part of the organization, but have sufficient insider risk capabilities so that you don't you know, sort of incur these risks and have uh, uh, threats like this that you have to go manage after the fact. Robin, you mentioned um, two of the three prongs that compliance officers work with, detection and remediation, but there's a third prong and that's prevention. Does uh, this tool or suite of tools that you guys have developed really help uh, HR department, the compliance department, the legal department, the CISO, um, move from uh, detect to prevent and perhaps even to prescribe uh, an action before it becomes either a policy violation or even worse, a legal violation? Yeah, absolutely. So as we think about the suite of solutions that we have, the integrations that we have with insider risk management into things like uh, Microsoft Information Protection, the endpoint DLP product that we have, there are things that we can do from a prevention perspective, right? So understanding what sensitive data you have, where it's located, classifying it and labeling it is an important aspect of the overall you know, program. Do you need that for insider risk management? No. But if you have that in place now, all of a sudden you can actually prompt the user. And that happens here at Microsoft, right? So we've got information protection running here at Microsoft, as well as multiple companies around the world. But, you know, if I have a, a confidential document and I try to email it outside of the organization, I'm going to get a pop-up in my Outlook, you know, right there in the, in the bar that says, hey, First of all, this is an external person that you're trying to email this to. Second of all, this has confidential information. Even if I don't label it um, or it hasn't been labeled, our system can still use built-in sensitivity types to understand that, hey, this, this actual document has credit card information in it. And so you shouldn't be labeling it. First of all, you shouldn't be even emailing it. And so there's things like that that you can, you can start to do the prevention pieces. Then there's also things with regards to some of the, the things that we're working on, on the, in the product itself where we can start to get ahead of what are some of the risks that might be happening within your organization, right? Um, and, and that allows organizations to really zero in on what are the policies I need to go configure or maybe to, to the point I was making earlier, what are maybe some of the trainings I need to go roll out? Because I didn't realize I had a challenge with people actually sharing external SharePoint sites. That was a new anomaly that I didn't realize was there. And once I figured that out, I can take a different action versus just policy enforcement. I can take an action around, you know, education and prevention. One of the things the Department of Justice reminds or has started talking to compliance officers about is you need access to your own corporate data. And if you don't have access to that data, you have to explain to us why you don't have that access. So that has caused corporate compliance officers to, to go knocking on doors looking for data. But it strikes me that your tool and your solution actually flips that because it gives the chief compliance officer access to that data. And it gives really a wide variety of corporate functions access to their own data 
in a way that they may not have done before. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about the broader set of solutions, um, whether it's information protection or information governance, that's where the discovery of the data can happen, um, the understanding of what the sensitive data is. And then with, like I mentioned, the classification pieces, you can label it. But then with information governance, which is a, another solution, you can actually say, okay, this is data I want to retain. This is data that maybe is you know, redundant, obsolete, or trivial, and they need to remove it from the organization, thereby reducing my overall, you know, risk landscape. Then we also have a solution in e-discovery, where if I need to find data per, you know, maybe somebody's requesting it from a regulatory perspective, then I can go in and I can search within my environment and I can find the relevant data for that request and produce it in a way that, you know, meets that request while also meeting my internal requirements of maybe not sharing things that are confidential or privileged or et cetera. So these suite of solutions that we have, you know, they all sort of work together in in one way or another. There's some integrations here and there. And then each individual solution allows you to focus in on a specific set of, you know, scenarios or needs that you may have providing you with that type of benefit. But it all is centered around, you know, understanding the data, because to the last point and in what we were just talking about, the data is is in multiple repositories. It's flowing everywhere and there's sensitive data and you want to drive productivity. You want to drive trust within your organization. But, you know, the other thing that, that we didn't talk about in COVID and this remote work environment is distraction, right? People can be can be distractions, and, and distractions drive a lot of, you know, sometimes the inadvertent leakage of sensitive data. And so that's an important aspect to keep in mind as well. So I typically ask a question along the lines of uh, what are the insider threats you might see in 2025 or beyond? But uh, and, and now I've having listened to you guys. This is not a podcast on insider threats. This is a podcast on risk management. And that's really what I'm hearing. And it really doesn't matter what the threat is. And so perhaps the better question might be, where do you see risk management assessment, identification solutions for management headed down the road? I think it is important to pivot on a scope. So for us, this, you're exactly right. It is risk management, but it is insider risk management. Right. So when you look at within the company, within the walls of your company, your virtual walls of your company now, uh, you're looking at employees and, and everybody else. Uh, where do you see this going? I, I do think things are going to start to get a lot more sophisticated. And this is primarily because the workforce is becoming a lot more fluid. Work from home, work from the office, move around. And I think the biggest change you're going to see or the biggest impact areas you're going to see is going to be with research. So there's a lot of work that we're doing because uh, there's so much data and there's so much um, and people much smarter than me talk about this to try to educate me and I, and I always get this wrong. But you know what's needed in this space is things like multivariate analysis. Right? You can't just look at a person and what they did. You have to be able to look at one person, their set of actions that they're taking, which could be you know, across multiple dimensions, across time, and then baseline that across the entire organization. That requires really complicated, multivariate analysis. Uh, we're certainly very excited about that because the more complicated this space gets, I don't think the right answer is just to say, you know what, it's just, it's just too much. We can only do this, this, or this, right? To your point, it is insider risk management. So what we're spending a lot of time on, I think where things are going, if you look out into the future, is you're going to get a lot more sophisticated 
research-based or data-driven detections that help kind of make sense of things and make it easier for humans, for compliance officers, for investigators, for lawyers, for HR, for business to understand this is wrong or this is a mistake or this is actually something fine, I can live with it. But getting you that information in an enriched form requires a lot of uh, in-depth analysis. And I think that's where you're going to see the trend moving when it comes to insider risk management. Yeah. One thing just to add on top of that, we had a conversation with a, a CISO just the other day in a, in a large consulting company. And one of the things that he said that really stuck out to me, uh, struck out to me is around, um, he wanted to accelerate time to action. When he identified a risk, the ability to, you know, accelerate the time to action is key. It, he didn't want to spend a lot of time or have his team spend a lot of time in, in managing different scripts, correlating different sort of signals and looking at different things and trying to figure out different rules. He wanted to really get to the point of like, OK, I've identified a risk. Now I need to take action on that risk and action. Maybe I need to stop it. I need to, you know, drive training, whatever the case may be. So as I think out and to the last point, you know, what really sort of, you know, the thought that ran through my head there was it's really about the the improvements in the machine learning that's really going to be what the future holds here and it's the it's the machine learning aspects of it it's the intelligence aspect aspects of it where the machine can really help you scale and identify these risks and present them to you as the human person in in this process to then make a determination of hey this risk is either you know benign or malicious or something else well, gentlemen, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but uh, this has not only been a fascinating uh, episode for me, I think our listeners are really going to learn a lot, and I hope that I can uh, perhaps call upon you in the future to continue the conversation. We would love that. Absolutely. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I'm extraordinarily pleased to announce the pre-publication pre-sale of my latest book, the Compliance Handbook, second edition, published by LexisNexis. It will be published in April. Quite simply, this is the best single volume, single author book on compliance programs. The creation, the design, the implementation, and the enhancements of best practices compliance programs are all laid out in this book. If you're in the compliance field, in the compliance discipline, this is the book for you, far better than any other book on the market, if I may say so myself. I'm going to link to it in the show notes for a pre-sale. There's also a discount. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.